But nonetheless, this committee report and this investigation was tremendously powerful in terms of its revelations and then the way that it was done. That I think it does in some ways show, at least to some, that the American congressional system does work and people can work together. Welcome to the Hughes Hubbard Anti-Corruption and Internal Investigation Practice Group's podcast, All Things Investigations. The Hughes Hubbard Anti-Corruption and Internal Investigation Practices Group represents many of the premier companies around the world, providing advice on issues spanning the full anti-corruption and compliance spectrum. In this podcast, host Tom Fox and members of the Hughes Hubbard Anti-Corruption and Internal Practice Group will highlight some of the key legal issues involved in white collar and other investigations, both domestically and internationally. We will tackle topical issues involved in investigations, as well as explore how companies can prevent and detect issues that arise in conducting investigations on a worldwide basis. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and you are in for a treat today. I have Kevin Carroll and Kenyon Brown, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, the January 6th committee. We are recording this on October 17, so with a caveat that who knows what will happen before this post, we're going to sort of review where we've been, where we are, and where we may be going. So gentlemen, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Thanks, Tom. We appreciate you having us on. Okay, so I'll be just throw it out with, as I said, we're recording this on October 17. Could maybe one of you start off with where you think the committee is today, and then we'll go backwards and forwards from there. I'll let my colleague, Kevin Carroll, lead us on that, if that's all right, Kevin. Thanks, Ken, and thanks, Tom. I think the committee's done an excellent job. I'm very much looking forward to reading the committee report that'll be issued. Often those committee reports are very important historical documents, and I think it will be in this case. I think they have two pieces of unfinished business that are important. One, I think they should certainly get testimony from Vice President Pence. He's one of the two most important actors that day. It would not be a complete investigation unless they ask Vice President Pence about what he observed that day. One of the big questions is going to be whether or not they should try to judicially enforce their subpoena of President Trump. My view is that the juice is probably not worth the squeeze. There's really not enough time to do it yet to go through the district court in D.C. and the circuit court in D.C. and possibly to the Supreme Court between now and the end of December. You know, I think if they did call President Trump before Congress, he'd certainly be well advised, given the number of grand jury proceedings he's facing, to simply take the fifth. And that might not make it a, a worthwhile exercise. Or given how he acted during the presidential debate with Joe Biden, just constantly interrupting, I think there's a potential that any live testimony that he might give might just degenerate into a, a free fall, a free for all, which would be embarrassing for the country. Just adding on to what Kevin said, I think the January 6th committee, we look at it in retrospect now, but there was the sentiment, perhaps in some corners beforehand, that it would just be a useless spectacle partisan spectacle, but it's been very revealing. They've been very thorough in their investigation. They've been very professional. And because of the constitution of the committee itself, there has been 
the absence of partisan rancor, which allowed them to tell a narrative from an investigative standpoint that I think the American people found very valuable, and they did not see the grandstanding that perhaps they had become accustomed to while watching C-SPAN on an ordinary basis. You know, I remember years ago when a certain member of Congress, who I won't mention, was before the mic on the House floor just kind of giving, you know, the other side hell on, you know, a particular issue. But then C-SPAN panned around the floor, the chamber there, and there was an empty floor. So it was great bluster for the constituents back home. But if I recall correctly, C-SPAN made a rule that after that, you know, the camera has to pan around a little bit so that people can get a true sense for what's going on here. Here, I think that because it was so thorough and they integrated the use of technology and videos and live testimony in different circumstances, they were able to get candid, truthful responses from people. And I think really build trust and credence with the American people in the way that perhaps might not have been approached if it had been done otherwise. Now, by comparison, the impeachment proceedings so long ago in the early 70s of President Nixon, I think there was bipartisan agreement on how things were approached. And you just don't see or didn't see that type of partisanship that you see today back then. So all in all, I think it was a very effective committee in its, in its doings. To wrap up here, you know, I agree with Kevin. I, I think that the calling card of a, an attorney is you, you don't put someone on the stand when you really don't know what they will say. So while you might get some juice out of it, you might get lemon juice. And so you, you just never know what former President Trump will say. And I think that the committee, by and large, has established what happened. Do you really need to speak with the president? And I'm just, you know, an outsider looking in. Did you really need to speak with the former president in order to establish his mindset, his actions, and things like that? I think they've done a good job of that already. Can you let me pick up on one point you raised, which was the presentations the committees made. They incorporated a variety of tools into the public hearings, which I thought were very effective and very impactful. Is that sort of a new development for a committee like this? Or is that just the reality of how we all communicate circa 2022? I think it's some of both. And I think they are wise to take advantage of that technology. But frankly, I think they use some of that for obvious reasons. One, it's a lot easier to have someone taped deposition or interview without the public specter of flashing cameras. Let me put it that way. An audience there, they tend to be more truthful and don't grandstand as much. And then, frankly, they have the power to edit what they then later show not to say that they would put forward anything that would be factually inaccurate, but they can kind of choose and pick what they want to present to the American people. I thought it was a real pro move, you know, the way they integrated that different kind of testimony. In a regular trial, you know, if somebody contradicts what they've said in front of a grand jury, in front of a deposition, you know, you, you can sometimes confront them with that. In a congressional hearing previously, there hasn't been a way to do that. You know, I certainly, when I was a committee counsel on the Hill, would have people say, just great, red meat, you know, kind of things that would have uh, led the evening news 
when they're interviewing with committee staff. And then, yeah, when they're sitting on, on national TV and his camera's clicking in front of them, they become more circumspect. And there was no practical way to say, come on, buddy, that's not what you said to committee staff back when we were discussing this in the House office building. You know, whereas here, not that they had problems with any of their witnesses, but as Kenyon said, they, they clearly interviewed these people in a manner where the witnesses felt comfortable, where they felt that they could, could speak at some length and were able to draw very effective uh, testimony. Kenyon, our listeners may remember your previous podcast, and part of that was, of course, your experience in the U.S. Attorney's Office. And so I want to turn to maybe your experience as a prosecutor, recognizing this is a different forum and a different audience. I found it, whether intentional or not, incredibly powerful that the testimony ended the way it did with people's lives literally in danger and at stake. And Speaker Pelosi, we now know speaking to, if not the vice president, the staff of the vice president, convey her concerns of his physical protection. Did you find that strategy, once again, whether intentional or not, would that be something you would employ as a prosecutor to have a crescendo leading up to this is how serious it was, the Speaker of the House had to protect the Vice President of the United States? Absolutely. I thought that was a brilliant move. And people may get down into the semantics of what the President knew and, and, and when he knew it and argue the policy behind whether or not it's an insurrection or whether or not it was a typical day at the Capitol. But at the end, you are reminded of just how important and significant these events were historically that people were really fearful for their lives. That was not political grandstanding when a person was walking around the Capitol with zip ties to tie up members of Congress and their staff. I mean, they were fearful hiding in cubby holes, hiding in offices. And I think that's a very poignant point to say, look, we're not arguing about policy. These folks in Congress were actually in fear for their lives. There were people saying, hang Mike Pence outside, who if they had had access to him, who knows what would have happened. So I think it's a great reminder of just how serious this was and just how unprecedented that situation was. The testimony or the videotapes it really did cast Speaker Pelosi in a flattering and I believe accurate light. I was a Republican staffer, and you know I would occasionally hear people on the right, you know, just vilify her, you know, treat her as this hate figure. And I would say, just having served on Capitol Hill, that she was a formidable presence in person, and also that my understanding from members was that she was a compassionate person towards people that were having personal or family problems. And I think you saw that there. I mean, one, when she's saying she wants to punch President Trump out. Two, when she's basically telling the Attorney General of the United States, the Secretary of Defense, here's what you're going to do now. And then when she was showing care and concern for Vice President Pence's life, I thought it was a realistic picture of the real Speaker Pelosi. Kevin, let me turn to a point you raised earlier. That's the report. And I wanted to ask you, what goes into the report? As a lawyer, I'm going to parse that report probably for years, just as I still parse the Warren Commission report from time to time. But what's the significance of the report? And is it as important for the historical record as the televised hearings we've had today? I think they're equally important. I've got just on my bookshelf over there, I've got The Enemy Within, which is Robert Kennedy's version of the uh, committee report from the McClellan Committee on Labor Racketeering back in the uh, 1950s. Certainly, the television images are powerful and drive the news cycle. 
But as you said, people decades from now, you know, will be looking back to the committee report as the historical record of what happened. Here, unlike often, there won't be a minority report. You know, for example, with Iran-Contra, there was a majority and a minority report. You see that sometimes here. It's going to be a unanimous report, which, by the way, the Senate Intelligence Committee, to their credit, did on a bipartisan basis. They produced a unanimous report on Russian interference in the 2016 election, sidestepping what role President Trump may have had, but just focusing on the Russian assistance, that Russian interference that did take place. So I think that the committee report here is going to be extremely important. I'm sure there are things that they wanted to get to that they weren't able to get to on television. Two subjects that really stand out to me are the response to the military that day and whether anybody within the military slow rolled the response. I, I say that as a, as a veteran. And two, a lot of serious questions have been raised about what the Secret Service was up to that day. And going back to Vice President Pence and his reluctance to get into the car with the Secret Service, what are they going to do if they got in the car? Those are some of the kind of things that I would want to see fleshed out more in the committee report. Kenyon, actually, I want to ask both of you this. You are both have served our public, and you both served. Kevin, you were on congressional staff for Kenyon with the Department of Justice. I wanted to ask you to maybe reflect upon, uh, you've touched on this a little bit, what did you feel when you saw these hearings in terms of being a former federal employee? And I saw, as a member of the public, that our government can function. It still can function. And I thought that was important. I think you touched on that, Kenyon. But really, how did you see the government functioning? And does it give us pause to realize it still can function going forward? Well, in addition, Tom, to the DOJ, you might remember I was a longtime counsel for the Senate Ethics Committee and chief counsel of the House Ethics Committee for a time. So very familiar with that legislative environment. And, you know, particularly with respect to that experience in the Senate. We had members that were very outspoken in their views, and much to their credit, when we got behind closed confidential doors and had to resolve matters, they left partisanship at the door and resolved things based upon the merit. And I was really surprised by that. I thought it would be much more partisan behind those closed doors. Now, in the House, I wish I could say the same thing, not those members are worse than the Senate members, but there, the partisan rancor did not disappear when you got behind closed confidential doors, be it because they're up for election every two years, or they're just more responsive to the public sentiment of constituents based upon that election cycle. But there, you have a continuing partisan divide. And I think the fact that this committee was able to move forward, much like it did against, for example, James Trafficant, a former member, moved forward and prosecuted its case or furthered the investigation in a way that was professional, that the public could understand. Now, I also recognize that the Republicans didn't have on all the members who they wanted to, but nonetheless, this committee report and this investigation was tremendously powerful in terms of its revelations and in the way that it was done, that I think it does in some ways show, at least to some, that the American congressional system does work and people can work together. I just wish it were broader and that the committee were constituted truthfully of more Republican members so that more people will accept 
the results. I was proud of the house. I think that they made a great choice in Betty Thompson, who really has gravitas and respect in the house. Liz Cheney, I was extremely impressed by her. And the supporting cast, Stephanie Murphy, Elaine Loria, Adam Kinziger. They had some members that, that really did credit to the house. And I'd like to say, I knew they had it in them. The house has done, the presidential impeachments get all the attention, but they impeach federal judges now and again and convict them and remove them for corruption, you know, and things like that. So I knew that the house was capable of doing a serious investigation. I'm pleased that they did. And I think a lot of it comes into good decisions that were made by Speaker Pelosi in picking Chairman Thompson and Chairman Thompson picking his members and the political courage of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger in being willing to serve, frankly, at the cost of their political careers. As we move towards the end of this term of the House, are there any things that you might either expect, hope, or could consider seeing coming out of the January 6th committee other than the committee report? I know there's efforts to try to clarify the Electoral Count Act, which should be done. It should be made perfectly clear that the vice president can't just decide on his own which electoral votes to accept and which electoral votes to reject. And in as much as there's a cockamamie theory out there that the vice president could do that, they should amend the statute to make it clear that that's not his role. He opens the envelope and he counts the votes. I hope that's what they do. I believe they have or they're considering giving the mayor of the District of Columbia more direct authority to call out the National Guard. The legal status of the D.C. National Guard is different. Every other National Guard, their commander-in-chief is a state governor who can call it out. The mayor of D.C. is not a governor, and she can't call out the National Guard. She has to appeal to the Secretary of the Army and the Secretary of Defense to do it. I believe there have been some legislative suggestions about giving the mayor of D.C. authority to call out the Guard in case of a insurrection, which is what happened that day. Can you? Well, you know, I just hope that more respect is given to the individual men and women who serve in various capacities on both sides of the aisle and to see witnesses who are called to testify under oath vilified for their truthful testimony, I just found extremely distasteful. Some, even when they were still congressional staff members working in member offices, And so I would hope that outside of the substance of this report, that there be a decorum returned to these hearings and respect, you know, for folks on the other side of the aisle enough to say, you know what, we're all professionals, we're all Americans, we might disagree, but let's agree to be civil. And so I hope that civility returns because the ugliness of some of the things that took place during these hearings and and how certain witnesses were vilified, I think was completely unjustified and frankly scary. Well, gentlemen, unfortunately, we were near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to thank you again. I can't think of two better qualified people to talk about where we are with the January 6th committee. And I wanted to to end by asking if our listeners wanted any more information on topics we've talked about and Hughes Hubbard, what would be the best place for them to go? Well, uh, Kenyon and I are are right here at U.S. Hubbard Reed in their Congressional Investigations practice, so you can reach out to us through www.usehubbard.com. We're eager to discuss these issues because they're they're important to our clients, they're important to the country. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Great to see you again.